0: Hello and welcome to Jokerman Podcast, a podcast about Bob Dylan. The one you're about to hear, at least. This is Ian, one of the Jokermen, coming to you several years down the line after this first episode was published about Bob Dylan's seminal 1967 release, John Wesley Harding. We appreciate you starting here at the beginning with us, but just want to let you know here so that you don't get the wrong idea with the first episode... What you're about to hear is, well, it's bad. Uh, The show is bad. It sounds bad. The takes are bad. It's just not very good, folks. The same way that it took Bob years to work up to late-era masterpieces, like Knocked Out, Loaded, and Down in the Groove, and Under the Red Sky. We had to get into the studio, talk into the computer with our friends, and go through our missteps, our versions of New Morning and Blood on the Tracks and Desire, you know, these lesser stumbles on the way to what we would eventually become. Over time, the show has also grown beyond its initial purview. At the moment, we're in the midst of our journey through the careers of Lou Reed, John Cale, The Velvet Underground, and Associated X. And we've also done plenty of one-off episodes on other favorites, like Van Morrison, Steely Dan, Warren Zevon, Scott Walker, Marky Smith, David Berman, and even Girls, the late, great indie rockers of the aughts. All of which is to say, there's a lot more going on to Jokerman Podcast than what you're about to hear in this inaugural conversation. And to that end, we have decided it would be helpful to put together a Jokerman starter pack of sorts, which is linked here in the episode description of the episode that you just clicked to play on. The starter pack includes... Plenty of hits from all throughout the catalog of Jokerman Podcast, both the Bob era, the Lou and John and VU era, and several one-off episodes as well. It's meant to give you sort of a good taste of what this show is really about, all the different dynamics and dimensions of what is going on here, and what it would turn into over time. With so many hundreds of episodes in the back catalog now, we know it can be an imposing journey to begin And that's why these 15 episodes in the starter pack are collected together, really just to give you a good place to jump in and figure out whether or not this is your kind of shit. There's all sorts of highlights included in the starter pack. We got sides A and B of Bob Dylan at Budokan, a couple revisited episodes about albums that we started with terrible takes on and then came to love over time, Shot of Love and Street Legal. Uh, We've got Desire Revisited with our friend Tim Heidecker. A couple other great guest spots as well. Trouble No More with the guys from Know Your Enemy. And More Blood, More Tracks, the final episodes of the Bob Dylan era of Jokerman Podcast with Jake and David Longstreth. Some of the most psychedelic and out there Bob Dylan conversation you are ever going to hear. So if you want to start with us here at the beginning... Trace the journey through Bob Dylan's career. Listen to us become not as bad at this as we were at the beginning. We appreciate it. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's plenty of ups and downs all along the way. Uh, But if you're just trying to get your feet wet and figure out what is going on with this Jokerman podcast thing, the starter pack is where you want to be. With that said, here's episode one.
1: Welcome to Joker Men, Joker Men podcast. Tomorrow. There's two, at least two Joker right. Men, and maybe, you know, three if we're including Bob Dylan, the man himself, and the subject of this podcast. My name is Evan, and my co-host, Ian. And this podcast is special because this podcast is for people who already know a little bit about Bob Dylan but are curious and want to know a little bit more.
0: Bob Curious.
1: Yes. The impetus for this this podcast is really an exploration of uh, most of Bob Dylan's career. And by that I mean everything that you d- never listen to because you listen to Blonde on Blonde and you listen to Highway 61 Revisited and you listen to some of the early folk sounding stuff the whole point of this podcast is um, that we not not, about it. we're not we are not going to talk about any of those. We're not really going to talk at all about the classic, wonderful albums, Blonde on Blonde, Highway 61 Revisited, bringing it all back home. And we're not going to talk about the nuanced folk stylings of uh, the times they are changing and the freewheeling Bob Dylan and, and the Whitmark demos. And we're not going to listen to any of that because that stuff is uh so good that you can't talk about it (laughs) that
0: stuff is good and we're gonna listen to the shit the empire burlesques and the uh under red sky and the uh the fallen angels
1: yes and we're talking about this image that people have of of dylan being kind of calcified in time that early 60s early to mid 60s like new york uh black-and-white photo world that we all just want to trap Bob Dylan and Lou Reed and all these great artists in. And it's uh, to everybody's detriment that we don't look at their uh, later work with that same curiosity. Exactly.
0: I mean, think about just the the pages and pages of print that have been wasted on 90 minutes, well I guess more than 90 minutes because Blonde and Blonde a double record, but between that and Highway 61 and bringing it all back home it's 100, 120 minutes of music something like that and uh, it's, it's sustained half a generation or it, multiple generations worth of rock critics or whatever Um, but just in the last like 4 or 5 years here, Shadow, yeah, Shadows of the Night was 2015, right? And it's 2020 right now he's right. put out five 5 records Records if you count triplicate as a triple LP. Right. You know, I mean
1: those are cover <laughs> albums, uh triplicate, Shadows of the Night and Fallen Angels. But um They
0: are. But they're still new new right, right.
1: I mean for for people like us, those are still, you know, crucial listening. But um I guess I to for an entry point, I mean for the listener who maybe doesn't know much about it, like I uh, I didn't listen to a lot of that I so I wasn't that interested in Bob Dylan's like discography like through all through it until uh, I was like at 20 or something I had just right. listened to the other stuff as a teen and I just wasn't very curious about it but the sort of miraculous thing about what his output is that beautiful like pure magic is like maybe never going to be manifested the same way as in the early classic records but it uh does still exist in, and it changes form it does pop up in these unexpected points throughout his career and uh to write him off is like uh a big mistake a bad yeah. idea
0: yeah i mean i i think is sort of a trite uh, a thing to say about the great artists or whatever but you know, the failures are more interesting to think about and talk about than the successes are, or, you know, the, uh, the, the unimpeachable classics, however you want to phrase it, uh, because we, we know what someone like this is capable of, what he's done in the past, and yet um, you know, you've, <laughs> you've got your empire burlesque circa 1985 when he's sitting there in a fucking, uh, like, Miami Vice white blazer with the shirt collar on buttons
1: and the gated drums and and it sounds like uh it sounds like that album cover looks that record and yet you know i was listening to that recently and and i hadn't heard it in a while and i listened to the song dark eyes and it comes out of nowhere in that record it's the most understated guitar and harmonica song on the record it just it doesn't seem to even have any sort of lead up to that the sound yeah, got,
0: that's the last song on the record and you compare that to
1: what the first song is straight connection to your heart right uh, tight connection yeah
0: tight connection to your heart, yeah it's just complete disaster
1: <laughs> but even that song like if you if you do listen and you try not to let the production overwhelm you there's some good things happening there and that song dark eyes is like an, an intensely beautiful song that even until recently just hadn't really uh hit my radar it's lyrically just as poignant and and haunting as uh it's all over now baby blue or anything from that era any of those stunners yeah he's uh, i mean the the man is capable of uh of masterpieces
0: whether he's 25 year old dylan or 40 year old dylan or 70 about to turn 70. At, his birthday's in 2 days. Well, he's actually. about to turn
1: 80 soon. He's I mean he's I, he's 70, I it was 79. 79. So he's I mean he's on the cusp.
0: But it's 2 days 2 days from today.
1: Yeah. Happy birthday. Happy early birthday. Well this Robert. we don't know when if this is coming out.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, happy uh happy birthday uh in in the future or in the past depending on when this uh ever reaches the airwaves.
1: Something I was thinking about uh, very fittingly is um, we are actually located recording remotely uh, at the moment because of um, the times that we live in. I'm recording from Malibu, California, and you're recording from New York, Ian, New York City. The one and only. And it occurs to me that these are two very important Bob Dylan locations on on the geography because Bob Dylan lives in Malibu and he Tremendous. became famous in New York City.
0: New York City, I, something seems on, um, i don't know—just uh, him living in Malibu doesn't seem
1: right. He's been doing it me. forever, doing it. Yeah, it's, it's been living, decades, living right? In,
0: <laughs> yeah, um,
1: it really has.
0: Um, but I guess like that's where Neil Young lived for a time, and Don Henley, and like all the fucking Eagles and shit.
1: Yeah, and who knows how many other stars quietly living in malibu which is a right. very weird town i have to say malibu is like the it's like a twin peaks if if like the income bracket was higher
0: right yeah Yeah. yeah. I, I, I actually totally see that it's it, like even, if
1: twin peaks had nobu it would act it's really similar <laughs> to um malibu california
0: and also there was some sort of like weird surface-level fixation with Eastern religion and philosophy, like people walking around. Well, they don't do it anymore, but it was the kind of place in 2004 where everyone wore a red Kabbalah string on their Right, wrist.
1: right. And Bob Dylan living here, in a way, it does feel kind of appropriate. I guess he probably doesn't like...
0: I'm, I mean, I'm sure that he's got an enormous compound that he lives in. Yeah, he in. lives
1: in the mountains, like up really high in, in one of these... You pro- the road to get there probably gives you a nosebleed. It's that type of thing.
0: Right. So, And, and it's not like he's going to be going into town to get a plate of pancakes at no, or anything. No, no.
1: Coogies is gone, by the way. cookies is gone. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard that a couple of years ago. So Ian and I, full disclosure, we're both from California. We both grew up in Southern California, in Los Angeles, outside of Los Angeles, all around. Indeed. And, and then we both moved to New York. And I think we were both firmly... I- I'm firmly bicoastal and it's not my fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I guess I I am too, uh, for better or worse. I think uh, I don't know how much longer I can put up with this uh, this shithole city, especially these days. I don't but even I- want
1: to talk about these days. I want to never reference current events. <laughs> we we don't have to make that rule. But um, why don't we dive back into the the life of Bob Dylan and, um, sure. the first record that we're going to talk about. John Wesley Harding. Still technically a sixties record. Still, uh, coming out in the, during the, actually the, during the summer of love from the sixties. Right. 68, Yeah, 67.
0: 67.
1: 67? Yeah. So 68 was like the summer of, Really bad things happening. Sixty-seven was the the summer of love.
0: Oh, that's right. But I thought, I thought John Wesley Harding was sixty-eight.
1: Well, we have to consult Wikipedia.com, but I'm pretty do. sure um, that it is. Got 19- it. It's nineteen sixty-seven. So just put December yourself, 27th. close your eyes, and think about a peace sign, and think about having long hair, and think about psychedelic rock music and then throw that all away throw it into the trash because yep. this album is not a psychedelic record it is not even a a full-on rock record when you compare it to the heights of rock that were happening that year right it's not quite a folk record yeah i guess like if, if you try to think
0: uh contemporaneously uh, like, what What was going on, you've got uh, what, Sgt. Peppers was 67. Like, up until this point, the record before this, obviously, Blonde on Blonde, like, Dylan had been kind of on the cutting edge of, of the pop mu- music scene, right? Like, he was, he was setting the template for what to do. Uh, he, people were following in his wake, and uh, this have- is the first record where he starts to, like, um, uh, diverge from
1: whatever the popular
0: currents are in the rock scene
1: yes yeah you got sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band the album by the beatles and then you have john wesley harding which was which comes after a period of silence because uh bob dylan uh had a, an accident uh allegedly he had a, a motorcycle accident that the nobody motorcycle. nobody knows anything about nobody's ever Seen him um, ride a motorcycle in person. Nobody knows. um, I'm kidding. (laughs) Sorry. He, no, he's a a false flag. He absolutely, it was a lie. And that's the kind of thing we're going to do on this show sometimes is lie uh, and then reel it back. He's rich. Just like Bob would want it. Yeah, he rides a motorcycle. And I think he still likes to do that. And um, he crashed on it. And this caused a period of silence from which he went to a cabin and hung out with the band and they just did kind of low-key jams and um, then recorded this record.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and this was, uh, was it just two records in Nashville? Was there anything in Nashville after Nashville Skyline, which is the next one?
1: One thing this podcast isn't <laughs> is a professional music historian's podcast. Yeah, we're, we're
0: uh, searching for the what feels true rather than what might be true.
1: Uh, did you hear that a motorcycle passed by? I did. Was that Bob? You never know, and that's one of the things that's great about Bob Dylan still being alive. And I hope he's alive when we put this out. He's.
0: In, I mean, he's made it this far. Seventy-nine. He's. He's got. He's got miles to go.
1: On a motorcycle, a Triumph <laughs> motorcycle. Write down. Write uh, down PCH. Um, I know we said we wouldn't talk about. Uh, Bob Dylan before he put this out but one of the great things about the early years was um all the interviews where it seemed like the entire world had deep crippling OCD about Bob Dylan and when he would do a press interview people acted bizarre and asked him questions like are you important and uh stuff like that And there's one guy in this one great classic interview who um, asks him about the T-shirt, the Triumph Motorcycles T-shirt he's wearing on the cover of Highway 61. And Bob Dylan just says he didn't think about it very much. Uh, There's no great uh, meaning behind it. And and he says, says, we all like motorcycles to some degree. And the guy goes, I do.
0: (laughs) That's that's Bob for you. Bob and his interviewees. Bob and his interviewers. Great great jacket on the cover of that record too. The, oh yeah, uh, it's, very, it's like it's a black sh- it like might, the colors on it.
1: I think it's like a satin um, jacket,
0: yeah. Yeah, it or, looks- or it
1: might just be like a like a very flammable type of shirt, like a shirt that is made out of a new space age polymer from the '60s.
0: Right. Say so yeah, something that gives you cancer.
1: Yeah, but apparently not. Because Bob right. is still with us today, still even alive. after wearing that loud shirt on the cover of that record.
0: I hope he's not, like, one of those guys, like, you know, uh, who's not like Hillary Clinton and, like, eating adrenochrome to stay alive through decades and decades, even when he should have died of natural causes years ago.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know if he is. I don't know if he's doing the, um, like, the baby stem cell uh, juice press right. or if right. he's... Maybe found some other um, sinister way of maintaining his corporeal form, but um I
0: think he's innocent i, I he's just like you know he wouldn't he wouldn't die with that shit.
1: I bet the way that he stays alive has nothing to do with anything i've ever thought about as being um, healthy. I bet he stays alive by working in his metal shop and talking to strangers who don 't know who he is. <laughs>
0: Uh, uh, well, so I guess back to John Wesley Harding.
1: Yeah, we're we're about to dive nose first into a very beige album, an album that has a beige cover and a beige it's sort sound. Of gray,
2: yeah, gray. It's, it's grayish. Gray, it's earth tones.
1: It's there's a little, there's black and there's earth tones, and it's an album that has a quiet, sort of pattering sound, and. Uh, it's um, a very hard album to talk about. Why don't you start,
0: Ian? <laughs> it's a very hard album to talk about, which is why we've elected to talk about it on the podcast. It's uh, you know it, it's a record that I I admire more than I love. I would say when I when I first became aware of it, I, I got really excited about it because I thought, oh, you know, here's a, here's an interesting one that I'm going to be able to claim as my own, and uh, that it ended up being the case some some degree. Uh, although the next one Nashville skyline is definitely more that kind of record for me uh, but we'll we'll talk about that in due time i I yeah.
1: actually really like this record um you know, it, it I don't think I became aware of it until like a lot later like, I th- I think I even had listened to some of the later 70s stuff and maybe even some of the Christian stuff before I got into this one no. Oh. And um, it's a weird,
0: uh, w- weird order there.
1: Yeah, I don't think I ever actually had a really uh, chronological experience with these records, um, except for I... you know the beginning stuff. But um, the early stuff. This record is uh, and into the seventies a bit. But um, this record, I think I maybe didn't even know it existed until like after I had listened to um, Blood on the Tracks and some of those more famous. Uh, 70s records, Rolling Thunder. It's an, easy,
0: it's an easy one to miss, especially coming on the heels of Blonde on Blonde, which is, you know, well, Blonde I mean, on the, Blonde. The, what, the, what is there to It's say? an
1: incredible contrast between those uh, immaculate, very, uh, very... What's the word you would use for those?
0: The holy texts.
1: Yeah, the holy texts. The famous, really bizarre phrase that Dylan used to describe those records. Uh, the thin, wild... Metallic mer- sound. Mercury sound. Mer- mercury Thin, sound, high, right. wild mercury. Something like yeah. this. Yeah. Um, a completely batshit way to describe the kind of music that you're making when it's, um, <laughs> if it's not electronic music and you're using guitars and drums, uh, it's a very weird way to describe it. Um, but Still makes perfect sense. To it me. does make perfect sense, and uh, I won't describe why because you just have to listen to those albums and uh, have your life changed. But um, John Wesley Harding, if if uh, Blonde on Blonde and those ones are are the thin, wild Mercury sound, John Wesley Harding is the sound of uh, a, a a rucksack, uh, a, a sound of a uh, help me out here, Ian. Yeah, um, you know, a, a horse uh, it's, uh, chewing it's some the cut. The sound of a horse um, in a in a leather bag. Sure. <laughs> and and then yeah. some rocks sort clattering of worn, down worn a cliff. Bag. You got some yeah. uh, at the top of a cliff. The horse it lets some rocks clatter down, and uh, those rocks hit a mountain of broken violins. How about that?
0: <laughs> sure. Just like a Bugs Bunny cartoon.
1: Um, this record is, like, full of kind of, uh, beguiling story songs that yeah, make you feel like portraits. you're having a stroke. <laughs> they make you feel like you're having a stroke? I, I mean, we should start at the beginning, but, um, Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts is a song, and, uh, well, that one, I, I guess... That's... Th- that blood, one is, like... Blood, that a- blood on the tracks. I was thinking of the other... uh, Story, ballad song in
0: in the uh, lineage of Lily, Rosemary, and Jack of Hearts. The ballad ballad of Frankie Lee Lee and Judas Priest. Judas Priest. Which
1: is interesting, and I'm actually very smart, in a way, for having Uh, (laughs) connected those two. Um, Yeah, absolutely. But uh, let's just start with the very beginning. The first song, John Wesley Harding, the eponymous track of the record. This song is about a mythical lawman who might also be god is that right
0: uh is that what we would
1: say might also be god that's kind of how i interpret it because um jwh i always thought it was like Yah- like a reference to like yahweh oh
0: yeah and you, then you know. and,
1: and it says he uh he travels with a gun in every hand which is a weird way to put it like like maybe he's like shiva with like a bunch of swords
0: Right, like several different arms. Yeah, the, the every hand line is an, is an interesting one. In every you know, hand. You're not traveling with a gun in each hand or both hands, but every hand.
1: And you'd think you just have two. You, you, you would think
0: that. Yeah, I mean, this is a, it's, it's an unassuming, uh, quiet little ditty to start the record off with. Definitely a strange kind of song to name a record after, I would say, because it's not really doing a whole lot besides, you know, kind of. Um, it's like a mood? Establish it puts tone, me in a good
1: mood. Th- this it does put you in a good tone
0: It's an upbeat
1: little jaunty uh, tune. Um, it talks about jo- how John Wesley Harding is a friend unto the poor and um, yep. that he would also kill you if you're uh, not an honest man. You know, there's a threat yep. of, you know, like holy retribution.
0: Absolutely. Do you ever look at the, uh, the BobDillon.com website?
1: Funny you mention it because I'm... Frantically typing that in right now. <laughs> it's a great resource,
0: uh, but one one of my favorite things about this website, and it's something I just stumbled across randomly at one point, is um, and I guess I don't know how accurate these numbers are, these dates or anything, but uh, apparently um, they've got uh, for each and every song in the catalog, uh, they've got a count of the number of times each song has been played live. Oh yeah, um, yeah. As yeah. well as when the first instance of the song being played live was, and last, uh, the latest, the last instance of the live playing. And uh, and John Wesley Harding, I looked it up, it's been played live zero times. Holy He's shit. never played
1: this song live once in his entire career. Wow. See, that that is actually such a, a great thing to bring up, because this album does have that weird thing about it, like that it almost doesn't want you to know it exists. It, it is a kind of terminally elusive record right even though the songs don't necessarily sound cha- the, cha- the sound isn't challenging there's not like some great difficult avant-garde aspect to it not that there is to anything Dylan does sonically for yeah, the most he's not, part uh,
0: not putting out revolution 9 or anything or um sister ray uh,
1: or sister ray or, or another challenging uh Another challenging type of music, like right, um, um, G- John Cage. Yeah. That's not what Bob Dylan is like at all.
0: Not what he's trying to do.
1: And yet, this album it makes you feel it, there's something disconcerting about it a little bit because, like, it it feels like it will lull you into a sort of state of false comfort. Like you don't realize that somebody's driving you. Uh, way out of your way you're like it's like being in a a taxi and you know where you're supposed to go and you kind of nod off and then you realize like this is not the normal way to go and The instrumentation is all kind of regular and until you kind of listen more closely and it's all kind of jumbly and quirky in a way yeah the sa- the sound
0: or the the vibe the feeling it just is kind of unlike anything else that he's put out before or since i would say that the drums have this really kind of like Like scratchy sound to the almost very very dry. The
1: whole album is very dry. It sounds like uh,
0: the kind of music that would have been recorded in 1850 or something, but just with then contemporaneous recording techniques. The bass has got a kind of a groovy uh, uh, hint to it at the same time. Yeah, it has like a uh, a
1: touch of that, like a a, um, foreshadowing of sort of like a 70s um, bass sensibility um, that you might hear in. Sort of seventies folk funk tinged playing, but it, it it's all against this very austere instrumentation overall.
0: Yeah, I think austere is a good way to put it, especially again.
1: But the instrumentation on the heels, the playing of what itself, it's for. on the other hand, is is pretty um, colorful. Like there's tons of little fills and fun little oh, interactions yeah. that are happening, but they all are just done in su- such a muted, sort of understated way that. It's easy to just let them float over your ear.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I, I think as I went out one morning, and here's where we can maybe move along. Yeah, uh, is uh, as my voice cracks, uh, um, move on. is a great example of that. It's got, <laughs> <laughs> it's got, it's got uh, a great little like drum fill, um, and and the bass is very uh, active and walking along, and then the lyrics on that. Uh, it, for me like is, is he talking about like it, it seems like, a, a, slave. like a, a slave a slave thing, girl right?
1: or slave woman yeah um the line I, I spied the fairest damsel that ever did walk in chains um, right
0: yeah that's pretty clear but then he's talking about uh flying to the south together will fly so she is talking about together will fly south which seems to be in the opposite direction
1: that yeah, that, if this is to be a period piece, which you know the the album cover would suggest, because it, it's all very sepia, and he's wearing cowboy type garb, and everybody's kind of looking like some sort of ragtag band of cowboys, and you don't know who any of those people are, but um, you would not want to go down to the south if you were a slave.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm no uh, historian, but
0: that that does seem to hold up. Um, but then he's talking about Tom Paine also, which uh, I, I would take to be a reference to Thomas Paine.
1: Yeah, but he's like saying, it like he's at his house, right? Like or at his, his, his land, plant, like yeah, his, like farm or something. Yeah, I'm just at Tom Paine's. Yeah, it, Tom Paine, by Tom, the way, a, a English-born uh, activist and philosopher and political theorist and a revolutionary.
0: The one and only Common Sense by Tom Paine. Yeah, he did Thomas one
1: of those. He did one of the great pamphlets.
0: Right. <laughs> Um, is something about this song just gives me kind of a heebie-jeebies? Yeah, me too. Me too. Kind of an un- unsettling quality. And I love it.
1: So I offered her my hand. She took me by the arm. Mm-hmm. I knew that very instant she meant to do me harm. So we've got a classic rhyme with arm and harm. But what, <laughs> sure. what I really wanted to point out was this line here, um, which in a way is you know like more Dylan-esque body horror. Uh, I told her with my voice, he says. <laughs> I told her with my voice is one of my favorites. I actually. told her with my voice. Um, like you do, like everyone who speaks and can speak would do. That, that's
0: usually what a voice is used for. Not knowing... usually
1: something you specify. Yeah. And uh, that makes it another notch on the weird, disconcerting lyric uh, pole. And it and it ends
0: in a very... Um... You know, kind of uh, uh, downer, blunt, you know, Tom Paine runs up. Up Tom Paine did run. I'm sorry, sir. He said to me, I'm sorry for what she's done. And that's all that we get.
1: Yeah, that that he's sorry that she's, like, trying to sort of seduce him. We don't know what ends up
0: happening to her. We don't know what ends up happening to uh, the narrator of this song, whether the narrator Bob himself or a character. Yeah. We don't know what happens to Tom Paine. You know, it's just kind of, um, it, it's... Uh, it's a moment in the mist and then it's gone and then we're on to the next one
1: which is uh, I Dreamed I Saw St. Augustine offering absolutely uh, no relief in terms of like well maybe this one makes sense Um, (laughs) maybe this one is uh, you know going to be a straight ahead rocker with a poetic bent but um, still no no it's actually much more a poetic bent that has uh, some music behind it
0: yeah yeah some well, reason this gives me, uh, and it might just be a very surface level um, uh, comparison, but I, I, I think of visions of Joanna when I hear this song or hear the title of this song, but it's clearly not as dense and verbose. Oh, and, that's uh,
1: interesting. Satisfied with
0: itself as uh, Joanna is. Just something about the uh, vaguely biblical kind of text to it. Um, mm-hmm. Dreams, visions, St. Augustine, Joanna. I, I, and I'm, I just pulled up like the. I'm on the Dylan website still, and I'm looking at, like, the lyrics for both of these here um, as I accidentally quit Safari. Um, and you use Safari? Uh, I do use Safari. Do you not?
1: I use um, the other one.
0: Uh, the Google one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that one's bad. Okay.
0: Um, but, you know, this is not a tech podcast. Um, just looking at the... Uh, like the number of words and stanzas and stuff that he has um, discarded from previous um, uh, previous efforts. Uh, there's something. There's there's something going on here. Discarded to, Yeah, I mean, like, let's see if I can actually get this to work with the word counter. The visions of Joanna. It's got uh, four hundred and sixty-four words to it. From beginning to end, if this word-counting website is to be believed.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then St. Augustine, um, you can just kind of see, if you switch back and forth between the two pages, how stark uh, and empty the latter is compared to the former. St. Augustine's got... I'm doing uh, it. I'm, I'm also on BobDillon.com, just so you know. It's a great resource, BobDillon.com. Uh, St. Augustine's got 133 words uh, in it. Um, and the lines themselves last, as far as I can tell, maybe a third of the the distances the ones from Visions of Johanna. That is much uh, less. Yeah, um, you know. So this is, I, I think, and this is maybe the overall thesis for this record. Um, there, one of the claims that I would make is like, you know, this is the first instance of many that we'll we'll get to see in the future where uh, uh, Dylan's main goal appears to be just confounding uh, the expectations of his audience. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, he had he had kind of established that concept earlier with the whole, you know, going electric thing and Judas and all that shit. Um, but one got the sense uh, uh, just from that moment in time that, you know, maybe, like we were talking about earlier, this is him just kind of forging ahead in the history of rock music and maybe he's settling into the sound that he's going to stick with throughout his career and, and then he
1: did, he does not in this he case does not exactly many
0: people do do that you know your eric clapton's your uh
1: your hacked shitheads
0: um but dylan i have no uh, comment on
1: that i have no comment on, on what you just said and now well I'm, i mean I'm that sorry, fully because I, I don't i just i just don't think about eric clapton that much so, but all right. i'll let it lie
0: okay I'm sorry if anyone out there is a clapped-in head. Well, I'm, you um, should
1: really be apologizing to the man himself, in case he was listening, because it's not Eric. impossible. Eh,
0: you yeah, know no. he can do what he likes. But yeah, I mean, th- this is the first instance of just a completely hard left turn.
1: Um, After the going electric, it's like this is kind of like the biggest shock in like the weirdest way you could possibly do it. You have like all of the people who feel alienated when he went electric. And then how do you possibly alienate the extremely excited and rightfully so crowd of people who are hanging on your every word when you've done a blonde on blonde and highway 61 and bring right. it all back home. And I guess the answer is to make an album full of stuff mm-hmm. that is like conversations that you had a dream about and then you forget it when you wake up and, right. uh, it's all beige. <laughs> Extremely beige.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that that, like, that tendency that he has gets more and more interesting as we proceed later into his career and his discography evolves along
1: with the history of rock music. Uh, the next song on this record... This is actually a cover of a Jimi Hendrix song all along <laughs> <No>. the <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's actually um, a really crazy fact about this record. Is uh, simply that all along the watchtower, the song that everybody knows uh, because Jimi Hendrix played it, uh, is actually from this record. Sure is, and that ooh, is ooh, oh, no. that is kind of like the the wild card, um, the gateway drug fact of this of this album is like, oh, you know, all along the watchtower, that's from the album John Wesley Harding.
0: One of the least uh, rock and roll records of all time. I
1: don't know. What does there say about All Along the Watchtower?
0: You know, not a whole lot, I would say, because this is the one song that has been sort of canonized, even if it isn't in this version uh, from this record. Um, One thing that I do find interesting on on this, going back to our our play counts, uh, which, remember, we had Zero for the title track, uh, which apparently Dylan thinks very little of. All um, along Watch our 2,268 plays throughout his career, uh, beginning January 3rd, 1974, uh, which would have been, was that Rolling Thunder Review by then, or was that just before it?
1: Right around in that year. Right around that uh, time, and certainly after Jimi Hendrix covered it famously, uh, well yes. after that. And I, I wonder if Dylan thought, well, maybe I'll give it a, a little time. I'll put in a little buffer just so it doesn't seem like I'm. Um, Like copying myself, <laughs> copying, uh, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that song I wrote was pretty good, actually. Yeah, I knew well, that I it was it- good, <laughs> I knew it was good before Jimi Hendrix made it the most uh, one of the most famous songs that he ever played. But um, I'm gonna play it again 2,000 yeah. times.
0: Yeah, uh, I played it uh, up until the, most recently, November 29th, 2018. Um, a show that I like, might have been right around the time that I saw him. I guess probably was right around the
1: time. Oh, yeah, I saw we should talk about if we've seen Bob Dylan, and I've seen him three times. I've
0: seen him once, but um, ha, yeah, ha. It, it, you're better than I.
1: Where'd you see uh, Bob?
0: Uh, the Beacon Theater here in New York,
1: New York City. Shit, did I only see him twice?
0: You saw him at some like uh like I saw uh, him at the snow San him Diego at, or something, at a, right?
1: At the Hollywood Bowl, which is world famous. And yep. um a random ass casino in outside San Diego. Yeah. Where like half of the people in there I guess had just that's what they won <laughs> was was being able to go in and see Bob Dylan and like some people were really drunk and had to be like had to be taken out. That's, that's outside um, and that was in 2017 or so uh, he was doing all the material from the triplicate and the cover records cover records era of you know the great american songbook and i really liked it yeah, yeah
0: i mean it's uh, it's, it's not uh, your your prototypical live music experience uh, he said precisely zero words to the audience yeah no he doesn't do when that. I <laughs> he did Which in the, great, in, in the
1: '90s. He he did that a bit. And I think the, I think uh, he did have you know at least he would introduce the band. Uh, the '90s was a big period for live Dylan. Um, a lot of the great like great I don't fucking know them, but the, a lot of the bootlegs <laughs> that you'll see like in, in a good record shop that has like CDs of bootleg Dylan concerts. A lot of them are in, in the '90s. And when you go on youtube like all the all the videos that are like the best version the this is an amazing version of whatever song with all the comments being like somebody who's whose youtube username is like bob forever or like bob <clears> dylan <throat> and then a string of numbers are all just like yes those are a lot of times from from the 90s
0: I wonder what kind of lives those people lead, like the um, the internet uh, Bob Dylan fans. Yeah, who, yeah,
1: yeah. Chuckling, I say, I wonder what kind of lives they lead as I record my Bob Dylan podcast. Bob Dylan podcast.
0: Well, you know, you, we, we got to just, you know, do something to keep from uh, slitting our wrists. Well, we're,
1: we're young, too. We actually have to really stress this that we're young people. Yeah,
0: that's a good we're point. We're in the we're prime of head. our
1: lives, and this is what good we're looking. deciding to do.
0: Yeah, we're we're cool. We bring sort of a hip hop uh, millennial sensibility—young, uh, dumb,
1: and full of curiosity for Bob Dylan.
0: <laughs> that's a good. That's a good uh, subtitle
1: for this. Cool. I'm writing it down.
0: All right. Um, anyways, all along the Watchtower, uh, you know, two thousand something plays. Um,
1: Next. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess I'll, I'll just give it a second like, the, the lyrics All Along the Watchtower They are as quixotic As everything else on this album With a little bit of a More of a dash of the apocalyptic And uh, That wasn't lost on One of the great Guitar heroes Kimi Hendrix Well said Thanks <laughs>
2: Now we come uh, to
1: the real This is what this, separates the men from the boys This is the, the hardest the song ever to talk about in the history of American music. Why don't you start?
0: Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. Uh, you know, really, uh, I put I put this record on uh, for the first time in a while. Um, earlier this week, a few days ago, just to kind of brush up my memory. And uh, listening to this song just put a smile just put a smile on my face. It's, it, it's just got such good vibes to it. And, and like the... the the jaunty kind of uh chords that he's got going uh from the beginning to the end and it's just a real it's a real fun real fun little story tale
1: i mean i don't want to belittle this album um i feel like maybe we haven't been like gushing about it but it's one that the more i think about it and once i get in the rhythm like now we're what five tracks in right and uh i'm starting to feel it's like it it's like, are you feeling it yet? Like it's starting to come on. I'm starting to peak on this record. And I think, right. uh, this would totally, be a yeah. great record to do psychedelic drugs to and listen to, and then have despite, a, like a really weird time. Despite the lack of psychedelic
0: music. Oh, it, it, this <laughs> is pair a, well with, well,
1: I mean, it's funny. We did talk about that earlier, but it's like, this is a, a fucking very psychedelic album. Um, in a way that is, like, maybe ahead of its time, maybe, like, more... This is a a more psychedelic album than Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I'm going to go on the record and say that, because this album is, like... You put a bunch of uh, books on, like, zen poetry and a bunch of books on... uh, Cowboys in a... um, in a blender, on acid. <laughs> on acid, hell yeah! And then, then this is the uh, this is the product. Yeah, th- this song is crazy. It's like, um, it's like something from like uh, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, what what are we uh, what what's what's going on here with Frankie and Judas? Well, Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, they were the best of friends. So far, so good. Sure. All right. Next, next lyrics. So when Frankie Lee needed money one day, Judas quickly pulled out a roll of 10 and placed them on a footstool and above the plotted plane saying, take your pick, Frankie boy. My loss will be your gain. And that's how he, that's sort of how he delivers all of this. It's like some kind of recital. It's like some kind of weird schoolboy recital vibe. Well, Judas, he winked and said, all right, I'll leave you here. But you'd better hurry up and choose which of those bills you want before they all disappear. All right, now I'm lost. I don't really know.
0: So I mean, we've got we've got Judas and Frankie, right? And uh, and Frankie appears to need be, be in need of some cash. Would we say he? You know, he's he's looking for a loan. So Judas is, is Here's here. Here's your first uh,
1: mistake, Ian. This song is not about anything that uh, <laughs> it seems to be about. I, I don't think. Um, well, so is it is it about anything or is it I just think it it's is. A, I think
0: it's shaggy dog tail.
1: Well it's definitely a shaggy dog tail but I think there is some kind of spiritual uh, point to this. Now I'm turning into that idiot who's like thinking that there's some deep meaning behind Bob Dylan's motorcycle <laughs> shirt. This song is like you're reading a word problem in a math book and you keep ha- falling asleep and opening to the wrong page and reading a different word problem. Well, he does,
0: uh, at the end of this song, uh, I think, maybe deliberately to make people go as crazy as they can, uh, he, he does conclude, you know, your final stands, that the moral of this story, the moral of this song, is simply that one should never be where one does not belong. So he's, he's, he's literally within the song telling you that There is, in fact, a moral to everything that he's just said. Right, Even the moral that he's mentioning doesn't really seem to line up with. No, the story.
1: no. I mean, wh- let's just uh, talk briefly without looking at the lyrics. Like, do you remember any off the top of your head? Like, that stick with you? Because there's some yeah. there's some things in this that that they definitely like. They they trouble me.
0: Yeah, I mean, the uh, w- when Frankie Lee arrives at this uh, this house it's not a house but a home
1: it's not Uh, a house but a home it's a home
0: uh and and then there's um what is it four and 20
1: it's four and 20 windows and a woman's face in every one. right is that how it goes this is like the math problem like i'm having a stroke type stuff four and 20 window it's like it's like you're reading the old testament like 10 cubits by forty cubits, like Noah building the ark type of biblical measurements.
0: I get uh, like Islamic vibes from this for some reason.
1: Well, Old uh, Testament is Islamic vibes. You know, it's it's potato potato. Sure, but that uh, uh, that the the other line that
0: it sticks with me here, uh, there towards the end after Frankie has uh has. Burst in the arms of Judas Priest and died of thirst.
1: Right. Um, Forget that he dies. Kid,
0: he dies. Yeah, from having sex apparently. Okay. Um, right. That's that's what's going on there for those you uh, 16, so. 17 days. Would you, what else, what else is he doing there in this house with these these uh, four and twenty women?
1: Well, it's not a house; it's a home. Uh, that's uh, good. <laughs> good point.
0: the The little neighbor boy. I think uh, it's something. Just that 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 part. Uh, sticks with me every time Uh, who's carrying Frankie to rest and mutters underneath his breath nothing is revealed Um, I I, I, I might be this is a fool's game uh,
1: run that back DJ you say that he says nothing is revealed in the song exactly and then the very next stanza says here's the moral of the story and the moral of this song you see, this is a form of advanced trolling that the CIA would be well to take note of because it is making me feel like I don't know where I am. Um, that is that is a
0: really does seem to be kind of what he's doing here. He, he's kind of anticipated the invention of trolling by uh, several decades.
1: Yeah, the moral of this story, literally immediately after saying, a little boy comes out and says nothing is revealed. Um. It, it it has the quality of, you know, the, the Zen koan, uh, like these little stories that are engineered to be like a joke with a punchline that doesn't make you laugh, but it 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 opens up some sort of gap for you, and then you have to contend with it.
0: Right. Yeah. The punchline is only uh, a punchline because it's not actually a punchline,
1: and yet. Th- that's what makes this great. And it really does bring a smile to my face as well, like it did to you, because you go into it, maybe your second, third time listening to it, just knowing you're not going to understand, and you kind of just let it wash over you, and you you have to deal with just things being mysterious and, and non-understandable. Is there a better yeah. word for that? Indi- uh, indecipherable. Uh, uh, yeah, indes- uh, cryptic. Perhaps. Cryptic. This is a cryptic-ass song
0: cryptic cryptic as hell uh definitely i think my favorite of the uh these kind of long meandering story songs um at least between this and then uh jack of hearts and then well, i guess you see, uh, I jack also of hearts
1: put, on uh blonde the tracks that's another really weird song that has like 20 characters and is full of uh dead ends and you know uh you know
0: yeah doesn't uh you know it it uh it takes you for a ride and spins you around and, and plops you right down back where you started uh but between yeah between this and that and um uh, the 115th dream which i would say is the other kind of uh canonical uh story song
1: uh this one this one does it for me for some reason I'm yeah sure there are
0: other other uh songs of these that i'm not thinking
1: the worth noting that this song breaks the five minute mark it's 535 and I feel like for me personally once a song is over five minutes I think of it a little differently I have to kind of be like I take I have to take it a little bit more seriously most of the mm-hmm. time
0: especially in a record like this right where like every other song is it's like two and a half minutes and just kind of fades out before it even gets started
1: yeah all along the watch 231
0: yeah sure um, and sweet and then, this one sticks out though you know
1: yeah and then we have a drifter's escape right
0: so it's about a drifter who escapes you know uh and as a guy who always roots for the underdog um you know i'm i'm on the side of the uh the weak and powerless uh, as opposed to the strong and powerful i'm glad to see the drifter make his escape um Especially in the context of uh, you know the American justice system, uh, which is where the Drifter is is uh, put on trial. There does uh, you know on the note of uh, Bob being kind of uh, or beginning his Christian influence with this record, uh, which if you read the Wikipedia page for John Wesley Harding, you'll learn that he <laughs> he had a big leather bound Bible on a stand in his uh, room up in uh, Woodstock around this time uh, the drifter the drifter is ultimately saved by some sort of divine intervention at the end right with the uh, the bolt of lightning that uh, strikes the courthouse out of shape and uh, and then the drifter escapes while everyone is kneeling to pray um, so there's uh, you know there's there's something uh, that's foreshadowing the Christian turn that we're gonna see a decade from now uh, at least a decade from now in the Bob Dylan timeline on this record.
1: Absolutely. And of course, that's some of the material we're very much looking forward to getting into later on. Indeed. But for now, uh, that will be the end until we flip that record over and get into side B of John Wesley Harding. And with that, we bid you a fond farewell. Yeah. Until we meet again. This has been Joe from